Good morning. I don't think we need anything after that, do we? Hope everybody's thankful and full. I was thinking about maybe even implementing my uh, 2023 New Year's resolution now, because it's been a slow go at that, and uh, I decided on Thanksgiving I was going to eat a lot of food, you know? Implementation's always the hard part for me, you know, like, you have all these good ideas, you want to do all these great things, good intentions, and then the implementation comes, and you're like, yeah, I mean you got to wake up and deny yourself and say no to yourself and all things you just wake up wanting to do, I think, you know. Uh, but I did. I was like, Thanksgiving, I'm going to eat a lot of food. And I did it. So, yeah, implementation, man. This thing's turning the corner for me. So, um, But, no, um, what greater thing to be thankful for than uh, forgiveness, you know? Um, so, Yaya got baptized a few weeks ago, and she was glowing. I don't know if you guys saw that, but she was just glowing with joy. And I was like, man, I remember that. I remember that happening to me. And it was just like, just thinking like, man, I've kind of lost my first love here, you know? And, um, then I thought about this text that we just read this morning and just thinking, uh, he who's forgiven little loves little. And we need to remember what we've been forgiven. So, um, so that's where we're going to go today. Um, if we could pray. Father in heaven, pray that you hallow your name today in our hearts. Let us see you as the treasure that you are to us. Father, I ask for kingdom power here today. Lord, that your will be done here in our hearts as it's done in heaven with the saints that are there and made perfect right now. Jesus, we thank you for being the final word of God. That what you did, how you lived and how you died for us is the final word. Lord, I ask that you forgive us for our sins. And don't let us hold on to unforgiveness in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you bind the evil one that would not want this forgiveness to be planted in our hearts today. Keep him far from us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> so the text that was read this morning is my wife's favorite text, I think. So um, 
but it, it um, contains a phrase that I mentioned that illuminates the love of God towards us. And without this love coursing through us, coursing through our minds and our souls, I think we're at a very dangerous time in the coming years of life here that we need to cultivate this love. Um, This is the love that makes us Christians. This is a different kind of love. And it's the love that we cannot exhaust. We need to keep searching it out. That's what it means to grow in Christianity. You're just trying to wrap your head around this thing that just happened to us (laughs) called forgiveness. Um, And the more we do that, the more we see how much we've been forgiven. And that's going to enable us, empower us to love. Has anyone ever heard the phrase, knowledge is power? Yeah. I used to work at an alternative high school, and I'd say, hey, you guys ever heard knowledge is power? And they're like, yeah. You know, like they don't care. And they're like, okay, well, have you ever heard uh, it's not what you know, but who you know? And then mostly blank stares. And I'm like, well, which one is it? You know, knowledge is power, but it's not what you know. It's who you know, right? And I think both are, both are true, right? Um, knowledge of God and the principles from the Bible on how to live down here are good things to know, right? The principles of God, the wisdom that's in the Bible has proven helpful and timeless, Right? I mean, these principles still help in technological times, dealing with social media and stuff. It's timeless, the knowledge of the Bible. Um, But it's a far different thing than knowing God. Knowledge about God is a far different thing than knowing God. It's easy to look around at this place and see that there's a creator, that somebody created this place. And that he's powerful, right? I mean, I think we were just talking to Brittany and talking about unraveling our DNA and that it can stretch to the sun and back a hundred times. I mean, that is crazy, right? And knowing these things, there's even an appropriate response of honor towards him as the creator, right? I mean, how powerful he is, how artistic he is. I was driving down the road yesterday, uh, just looking at the sunset in the clouds, and I'm just like, man, he is so awesome, right? But even all of that, even everything that you can observe here, it does not let you know his heart of hearts. You can observe things and induce understanding about God, but it is not what you know, it's who you know. And this knowing of God's heart of hearts, this intimate knowing of him in his inner person, I believe only comes through an experiential, experiential understanding of the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That, that phrase comes from Romans 5. Romans 5, 5, I think you'll have it up on the screen here. 
if you look at it, and this is kind of interesting because in Galatians, we're like, how did you receive the Spirit? How did you receive it? By hearing with faith, right? By hearing with faith. And, and if you look closely at Romans 5, 5, it says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So I've been thinking about this text a lot. I'm trying to make this uh, pouring out of God's love into my heart a daily experience. And you see that it's sandwiched between two realities there. One is hope, right? You're, you're doing something with your hope. You're doing something with your faith, right? And what you're doing with it is on the other side of that sandwich is the, the reality that Christ died for the ungodly. So you're, you're sandwiching the Holy Spirit between these two realities. My hope is in Christ died for me while I was ungodly, right? And so that's my hope even for today, that we can start to see more clearly how ungodly we are. And that in our sin, I mean, this is, this is the story that you hear over and over and over again, right? Over and over again. It just becomes kind of, I mean, sometimes we just get numb to it, right? That's why i am just been begging the Holy Spirit to just come and fill us with this outpouring of God's love today. But before we get into stories, right? Like, like this, that's kind of what it is. Hope in a story, hope in a story, hope in a story, right? That's, that's what he does every Sunday. He's trying to unpack this story and trying to get you to hope in this story more and more and that the Holy Spirit just keeps pouring out on us, right? That's, that's the way it works. My heart behind this right now is Christ says something in Matthew 24. And I've really been struggling with this for the past couple of years. Um, the phrase is, because iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. That's a very scary thought for me. I'm not going to get into the end time arguments of Matthew 24, but these key ingredients can happen at any time, right? And the first ingredient is iniquity abounds. The second ingredient is love grows cold. It shrinks back when massive sin is going on around us. Love withdraws. And the really scary part is only he who endures in love till the end will be saved. So for, for the first ingredient, some daily interactions that are abounding in this place, uh, social media, Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Hamas, Democrats, Republicans, COVID-19, vaccines, Lockdowns, 
inflation, pervasive sexual immorality, pornography, human trafficking, freedom of speech issues, terrorism, mass shootings, Second Amendment issues, public school curriculum, we're coming after your kids type stuff, abortion, Biden, Trump, BLM, immigration, poverty, broken families, broken churches, broken schools, broken business, broken communities, broken government, broken nations. If you watch the news or are in relationship with a human being, this is what you're dealing with here every day. So I see that the first ingredient is abounding here. It's, it's real. It's happening. These things can be scary in and of themselves, but I'm really more scared of the second thing happening, that my love grows cold or that our love grows cold. I love people in this church. I love you. I don't want to think like that can't happen to us. Right? I mean, that, that can happen to us. He's talking to his disciples in Matthew 24, you know? He's talking to people who do love. Right? So there's a stewardship um, in Proverbs 4.23, I think it is. says, above all else, guard your heart. A lot of times our stewardship minds are like, you know, I'm supposed to be a good husband or a good father or a good like steward of my finances and all this stuff. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. So we need to be on guard here today in this time. It's easy to become indifferent, apathetic, or even let rage overtake us. As I'm reading that list, there's got to be one or two of them that stick to you that's like, yeah, that makes me angry. Yeah, that really makes me angry. For me, it's like the whole list. So I'm going to be real with you. Like, these things make me angry. But I don't want to be overtaken. So I need to be careful. We need to be careful to cultivate agape love. Agape love. This is a divine, it's like a divine love. Okay? I was just uh, discussing agape love with a professor, a friend of mine, and he said that agape is an ideal that we rarely live up to. And I agree with that. But the issue is that it is the word that Christ said we must endure in. It's agape. It is a divine love. It is a love that you share for everyone. You want the goodness for them. You, want, you wish everyone well. Jesus said, even your enemy 
right? That's not natural. That's supernatural. It's not going to happen to us. We're not going to just like coast around and be like, oh yeah, when somebody's looking me dead in the eye and wants to kill me, I'm going to love them. That's not going to happen. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural event. It's natural to become cold and enraged. It's unnatural to love those who are perpetrating evil. The Bible says we love, we agape, because God first loved us. So this does not come from us. This comes from God. The Holy Spirit pouring out his love into our hearts is what we use to love people. Okay? So, in order to do that, in order to receive that, because you can't just go around trying to give that. You have to receive it first. So we have to flip the roles here. We have to see ourselves as the perpetrators. We have to see ourselves as the whatever the worst thing that makes you so angry in that list, think about it. Like, oh, yeah, that's me. Right? And I just don't think that's a one and done thing. I think that's why we just keep going over this same old story because you cannot, you cannot see the depths of your sin and the depths of your love, the love of God towards you in overcoming that sin. You can't, you can't perceive it here, I don't think. So that's what we keep exploring. And I think we explore it through hope and a story. So remember, he who is forgiven little, little loves little. So I'm going to try to search out what we've been forgiven. I'm going to start with my own personal, personal life. I've been forgiven much. I was, I'm more like the uh, sinner woman in the story than the righteous Pharisee, okay? I was just talking to my family about that and the things I used to do, the people I used to hang out with. I, I think it's amazing that I'm even alive right now. I'm not going to get into all the details of the depravity of my life, but as we're like talking about all the people that we, you know, I used to hang out with and stuff. I mean, many are dead already. Many are in prison, in and out of prison. And, you know, it's like, where am I at? I experienced the love of God for some reason. I don't understand that. I don't know why that's happened that way for me. supernatural. But when I tasted it, when I tasted that love, when that love of God was poured into my heart, that's all I wanted. Oh my goodness. It was like, well, yeah, I I come from drugs, thugs, and killers, man. Like that's, those are the people I hang out with, used to hang out with. And uh, maybe this is too much, but they, my nickname was fiend. Okay. Growing like, that's what they nicknamed me. I just, I was insatiable. I wanted it. I wanted it. I wanted everything. And when I tasted the love of God, I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of it. 
I want more and more and more and pursue it, pursue it, pursue it, right? And it changed me. It changed this man. It's still changing me. I'm preaching a sermon today to people I love instead of destroying their lives, which is what I was set up to do. It's an amazing thing. I remember I was wrestling with this love as a fairly new believer, like a yaya type believer, right? Just love, like love in the forgiveness, love in the experience of the love of God. And I'm wrestling with these things, and I'm working at this alternative high school uh, on rural in Washington, um, not a very nice neighborhood. And um, so I, uh, I go, I show up there, it's like six in the morning, um, late November, Okay, so it's like a day like this. It's pretty chilly in the morning, dark. I get out of my car, and about 50 yards away, this guy's like, hey, I need a favor. And I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) So he starts walking up to me. Doesn't even have a shirt on. Comes up to me, he's like, hey. I'm going to need to take your car. And I'm like, uh, I can't do that, man. You know? He's like, I don't think you understand. I'm going to need to take your car. And my heart starts pounding, like, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I, don't, I can't do that, man. And really what's going on in my mind is like, yeah, you can have my car, but I told these kids I'm taking them on a field trip today. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't mess that up. And he goes, look at me. You know who I am? He puts his hands in his pocket, starts walking back. I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. He says, look at me. You know who I am? I'm like, no, I don't know who you are. He takes his hands out of his pocket, puts them behind his back, says, look me in the eye. And he's stone cold. Like, I know, I know that look. I've given that look. And I'm terrified. <laughs> right? I'm like going and trying to do a heart check with Christians, and this guy wants to kill me. And everything's racing my mind. Fight or flight, panic, right? You know, just... And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, just get down and look him in the eye. And he's stone cold, man, ready to go. And literally, out of nowhere, my heart fills up with love towards this guy. And it starts welling up in my eyes. You guys know what I'm talking about? And he sees it. He sees it in me. And he goes, you got a good heart? I'm like, I don't know, man. (laughs) I try. He's like, you believe in God? I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. He's like, oh, man. 
you believe in God? I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. He's like, oh. man, I knew some people that believed in God once, and they were telling me all kinds of crazy stuff. They put me in a car and tried to take me down south and dye my skin from black to white. And he's like going all, like all kinds of stuff. He goes all over the place. And I'm just like, whoa, like, now that's not what I'm talking about. When I, you know. But I just listened to I just listened to him, you know. And he comes back and he's like, but really, I, you know, I, they said some things I don't think is in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like it was in the Bible. So the main thing the Bible says is that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you take away your sin. And that's some big love, man. And he loves you like that. And he goes, huh, I got a son. I'm like, good. It's like, I've got one son. I'm like, that's good, man. It's like, I'm going to go talk to my son. <laughs> Shakes my hand and leaves. I'm telling you, <laughs> that is supernatural love. Looking at an enemy dead in the eye from this guy, I was not raised to do that. In, in me, he's dead or I'm dead or we're both dead. That's, that's what the outcome would have been. I thought about that, too. And I think Piper was like three years old. And on my way home, I'm just thinking, man, she wouldn't even remembered her daddy. And I'm like her favorite person on earth when she was three, because like, I'm three, too, you know. So, <laughs> and she wouldn't even remember me. God saved me through that love. And for all I know, he's saving that man now, you know. That's divine love. That's something that you cannot conjure up. I was seeking him out. He was my first love. I was kept pursuing him, pursuing him, and it flows out of you. Okay? And it was from this forgiveness that I experienced. Remember, he who is forgiven little loves little. The first time the word forgive is in the Bible it comes from the story of Joseph. Everybody's familiar with Joseph, coat of many colors, right? He is the beloved son of Jacob. He is the unique son. He is Jacob's heart of hearts. And of course, the other brothers don't like him for this, right? actually says they hate him. They plot to kill him. And instead of, you know, doing that, they sell him into slavery, which is not really that much better. And they turn and smear his coat in blood. I was thinking about this, man. They, they smear his coat in blood and take it to their father.
Your son's dead. He rips his garments. He mourns his son. All his sons and daughters you know, come to comfort him, and he won't get any comfort. He refuses comfort. And he says, I will go down to the grave to my son mourning. I'm going to mourn him for the rest of my life. And for 22 years, think about that. For 22 years, they kept this lie up to their father. For 22 years, the father grieved the loss of his beloved son. For 22 years, he grieved the birthdays, the feasts, the Thanksgiving celebrations, the weddings, everything. There's an empty chair at everything, and he grieves him for 22 years. And they stay, the, the brothers stay hardened against their father in this for 22 years, watching him for 22 years. Every day is a constant betrayal. Then the brothers find Joseph. After this 22 years, the famine started. They go seeking food in Egypt. They find out that Joseph's suffering. They find out that he was imprisoned, falsely accused, imprisoned. They're exposed as enemies that stole the son from the father. And they, start, they realize that how much they made the son suffer, how much they made their brother suffer. They're exposed as the liars and murderers that they are. And they must have been terrified <laughs> to see Joseph. And he's like, I'm Joseph. I mean. They had to confess to their father that they made him suffer for 22 years. And then they had to go to Joseph, who had been given all authority in the land. I mean, that's, and receive mercy from him. The first time the word forgive is in the Bible is after Jacob dies, Joseph's father. And he dies, and the brothers are like, oh, man, now dad's dead. That's going to bring up some wounds here. That's going to bring up some hurt in Joseph's heart. It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him, they say. So they send a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Before he died, he said, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin." in the evil they did to you. I mean, that means the father forgave them too. He's asking the son to forgive them as well. 
Joseph hears this, hears them ask for forgiveness. It says he weeps. Can't help but thinking that weeping there is not just, there's something very painful about forgiving someone. Because the word forgiveness, forgive actually can just be translated suffer as well. So it's, it's a, I'm going to keep this pain. You, you did this to me. And I should, I desire to pay you back for the evil that you've done to me. Right? But I'm going to keep it. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to weep for this pain. And I'm going to release you from it. I'm going to take that hurt and not put that hurt back on you. Right? That's what they said. Do, do not pay us back for all the evil that we've done to you. And he's got all authority to just say, hang them all. And he weeps and he comforts them and pledges to provide for them for the rest of their lives. That's crazy. That's insane. Where does that come from? That comes from God loving Joseph first. Where does that kind of forgiveness come from? It comes from the love of God. So we remember that he who is forgiven little loves little. So now we're going to look at a similar story. The Father in heaven and his beloved Son. Many similar things going on here between the Father and the Son and us. This is all willing on God's behalf. He sends his Son away to earth For 33 years, the Son is apart from his glorified place with God that he shared for eternity. Willingly, he is here in the midst of darkness. Willingly, he is tempted in all ways. In the middle of wars and pandemics, in the middle of government corruption, broken families, a broken religious system, he is willing willingly partaking of the suffering and the plight of humanity. But the epitome comes at the cross. Matthew 26 says that Jesus went to pray at Gethsemane. We were just at Matthew 26 in our, in our small groups. He went to pray, to commune with God because he knew what was coming. He looked straight at what he had to do and said, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. He saw the suffering that was coming at him. He saw us as the liars and the murderers that we were, that we are.
He considered the torment of the pain. He looks at the betrayal he must face, much like Joseph being thrown down in that pit and all of his brothers there, like, what are you guys doing to me? You're my brothers. The betrayal of a kiss from Judas. He looks at the lashes on his back, his beard being ripped out, the crown of thorns on his head, the nails in his hands, the nails in his feet, hanging in an incessant mockery and nakedness in front of everyone. His grieving mother and friends in front of him, he looks at all of this and he begs his father three times, is there another way? Please, if there's another way. But in love, he embraces this cross and dies for us. He bore the suffering that was due to us. It was our sin that did that. We are Joseph's brothers. We're Joseph's brothers in the story. I know we like to think we're Joseph or whoever. (laughs) It's just not the case. We're Joseph's brothers. We have crucified the Son And the father says to the son, forgive them. Do not pay them back for the evil they have done. And while we're betraying Jesus and crucifying him, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They know not what they do is true. But we have to remember that he who's forgiven little loves little. So we need to try to wrap our minds on what we've done so that we can love here. I don't want to assume that this iniquity that's going on in the world here or in our own families here For goodness sake, let's not get too detached here. It happens right here, too. That it won't make my heart cold. That when my wife sins against me, or more often that I sin against her, that unforgiveness won't take root and love will grow cold in our household. I mean, if I'm honest, it's already... From where I was at Yahya... To, to now, I've grown cold. So I'm going to be honest. Anger, cynicism, you look around this place, you know, you start to get short with your spouse, and it's like, what is, what is this? This is not what God has done for me. This is not what God has done for me. Why am I acting this way, you know? So we need to fight together <laughs> to cultivate this love. There's a warning to help motivate us to fight for such a thing. In Matthew 18, another story. 
23 through 35. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. My wife and my, all of my children are here right now. And I'm, I love that. I couldn't imagine the king saying, bind them. They need to work off your debt in slavery. Right? That just happens to this servant. And it says that he... The servant fell on his knees, imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Here's the scary part. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's kind of crazy because the servant saw what he was being forgiven. He saw that his wife and kids were getting ready to be enslaved. But something didn't get into his heart. That little phrase there at the end, that's what happens if you do not forgive from the heart. Something didn't click in this guy's heart, even though he saw, oh, my, my family doesn't have to go to prison. That's kind of a scary thing, right? Like, I, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to be cold and not receive this in my heart and forgive people from the heart and love people genuinely even when they're looking at me violently. <laughs> so there's something that has to keep happening in our lives. It's a
There's a phrase in 1 Corinthians 3. I don't know why it came to me just this morning, and I was briefly trying to talk with Grant because I don't even know what it means. But it's there in the Bible, so I'm going to say it. Uh, Paul's talking to the Corinthians, and he's like, you guys are arguing about this and that, Apollos and Paul and all these, all this. He says, aren't you just acting like mere humans? What? Aren't you just acting like a mere human? Look, if you've been saved and forgiven by Jesus, you've been given a new heart, a heart of flesh, you are not a mere human anymore. You are a child of God. And you need to act like it. The world needs us to act like children of God. They don't need us to act the way the world is acting. So be his child. Do things that children do with their dads. It's not super religious. It's not super complicated. Love your dad. Spend time with him. Love his children, who he loves. Spend time with them. In Hebrews, uh, probably Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, saw what Jesus was talking about when he said, iniquity abounds, the love of many will grow cold. In Hebrews, it says, do not neglect to gather together, which is the habit of some, but gather together, stirring one another up to agape, love, stirring each other up to love and good works, and do so even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So again, I'm not saying the Lord is approaching anytime soon. I'm saying we're 2,000 years past when that was written. So we're closer. And iniquity is abounding a plenty here. So stir one another up. Commune with God. Fast, pray, seek God. I mean, I just, I think of Yahya, and I'm like, man, a lot of growing in Christianity is trying to get back to that. A lot of growing is just that. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, right? I love you guys. Let's pray.